I kind of have a silly personality, so uh, just kind of bear with me, but that's kind of how the Lord uses me. So I was as I was preparing this message, the message is called Not Ashamed. Being unashamed. Amen. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for anybody who believes. And as I was praying for you guys and praying for this message, it was very clear and very evident. Uh, you guys ever seen Incredibles, the number two? So there's this little baby Jack-Jack. And they don't quite know what his superpowers are yet. So they're just kind of like watching him. And um, that's kind of the image that the Lord gave, gave to me. And we have to come into the kingdom just like a child with innocence. And that's how the Lord really met me as a, as a, as a child. But there's things that, you know, when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. And there's things that are like false senses of security, and it was kind of funny. It just the Lord gave me this picture of some adults, not you necessarily, but just some grown folk walking around with a with a whoopie. You guys know what a whoopie is? It's like a baby blankie. <laughs> it's like a little false sense of security, and we like to be unashamed when we're sharing the gospel with other people. Amen? But sometimes it's a little bit more difficult for us to open up and to be real about some of the childish ways that are still holding us back. And I'm just going to give you the close of my message right now. God wants you to trade in your whoopee for a cape. So what God was showing me was he was like, uh, on that movie, like, there's this little designer lady that's like making uh, superhero outfits, depending on what their superpowers were. Like some of them are flammable, some of them are stretchy, some of them like can bounce and fly and all that other stuff. And the Lord was showing me, he says, I'm, I'm making each one of you a cape to fit every single gift that I've given you. Supernatural powers that I've given you that you're still just discovering. And just like as I look at my own kids, when I put them to sleep at night, I'm just praying for them. I'm like looking at them just like baby Jack-Jack, like, man, what's this baby got inside of her? Because this baby's off the chain, Lord. So I'm just praying and I'm just watching. And, and then the Lord showed me like a couple weeks ago that my son's going to be a worship leader. That boy can sing. And he's got the Holy Ghost all, all up on him. He got saved last year uh, during the Harvest Crusade came downstairs I'm like bro go back to bed it's past your bedtime you know and he's like oh he just kind of weasels his way in and he just he started crying when the pastor gave the altar call I'm like I'm like what are you crying what are you crying for dude and he just pointed up at the screen I'm like whoa I'm like you want to give your heart to Jesus he's like yeah I said just pray man just do it <laughs> he's four years old And he prayed the most sincere, born-again prayer I've ever heard in my life. He just said, Lord, I know I have a bad heart. Will you take my bad heart and give me a good heart? I was like, oh, dude, like, yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Holly. <laughs> and 
from that moment on, he began to understand when we would do our nightly devotions. Like he began to understand the word. Now he's ministering to his friends that are in preschool and he's ministering to us. But there's this innocence that we have when we're kids. Like that kid, that, that he has no shame in his game. Like he's bold with it. We're like going in for, you know, around Easter time. He's like, it's not about the bunny rabbit dad. We're like in, in the grocery store. I'm like, bro, just, just chill, you know. Let's... It's not about Easter eggs. It's about Jesus. And the little, the lady behind the counter is like, yeah. You know, <laughs> just like incognito Christian checkout lady. I'm like, man. I'm like, man, you're a worship leader and you're an evangelist. Hallelujah. But God's, God's, uh, he's already designed your cape. You remember when the father gave Joseph, they called it a, a multicolored robe. There's actually a play called the Technicolor Dream Coat because he was a dreamer. And I'm telling you, this afternoon, the Lord is going to restore some of the dreams that he gave you in your innocence. See, Satan's always trying to get you to trade that dream in for something much less than your inheritance. So this whole time that you're here, sometimes there's people in here that are like, man, I'm ready to go. I've been here for three days. I'm ready to go back to work. Why do I know that? Because that was me. I was like, I'm not dope sick anymore. Y'all are just scared to go get a job. I'm going to get me a job. But that was my whoobie. That was my little safety net, my little sense of security. I know how to be a carpenter. I know how to make this much an hour. So it was pride. So I was just carrying that in. I was, I was just dragging that along with me. And what it was doing, it was, it was stunting my growth. People were like, man, I'm grown. I don't, I don't have to follow these rules. But you're just like nursing that little whoobie. But you look like you're fly on the outside. It's all about image. So I just want to take you back. I'm just going to be extremely vulnerable with you just about kind of how I began to experience the Holy Spirit in my own life. And how Satan tried to like, like Ron was saying, put a lampshade on that and snuff me out even as a little kid. The first time I ever yielded to the Holy Spirit, this is something that you're going to have to learn how to do every single day. Do not be ashamed to yield to the Holy Spirit. It's going to look foolish to your friends. It's going to look foolish even to Christian people. It's going to look foolish to followers of Jesus. David's own wife despised him because he wanted to be undignified. He wanted to worship the Lord. He wanted to jump up and down just like you guys are doing right here. And she despised him. There's going to be some haters right next to you. You cannot be ashamed. The first time I ever yielded to the Holy Spirit, it was in worship, and I was five years old. We always had to sit in the very, very back row when I was in church. We went to a Pentecostal church, and people were kind of having some different encounters with the Lord, but the Lord touched me when I was five years old. And I just remember dropping to my knees in the very back, and I just felt this incredible freedom that I've never felt before in my whole life, because I always wanted to make my dad proud. My dad was standing right next to me. I'm like, this is weird because my dad doesn't really get down like this. He's just kind of like, 
you know, just kind of like uptight, like not so touchy-feely. And I just fell down to my knees and just worshiped the Lord. And I just like tears were coming down my cheeks. But I was worshiping Jesus with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind. And God began to birth this boldness in me. See, some of you guys have to go back to your childhood way back to kind of remember some of those moments where you just felt like you could be completely yourself. And let me tell you, that's where the Holy Spirit really rests. Your anointing, your cape, your identity only rests in who you are and how God's created you to be. So sometimes you got to go back in time. I always wanted to have like a time machine when I was a little kid. I was like, man, I can't wait to go back in time. I want to go tell myself some stuff. But think about that, being comfortable and confident in your own skin. How long has it been? In Matthew chapter eight, verse 18, verse 2, it says, He called a little child to him and placed the child among them and said, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes this lowly position of a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But at five years old, that was when Satan himself attacked my freedom, my innocence, my confidence, my faith, my ability to dream, to worship in spirit and in truth. Satan tried to quiet me down, to shush me. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life, and that more abundantly. That same year that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was sexually abused by my cousin. And a sense of guilt and hiding and shame, because I knew it was wrong, just kind of cloaked me. So I couldn't fully be myself. And so many of you, I don't know how many, but I know a lot of you have experienced some of the same trauma. That you felt like you had to be all grown up at a very early age. But I'm telling you, you can be unashamed now. That doesn't have to be the excuse that causes you to continue to live less, live less than your inheritance. Does that make sense? I can only share that today because I'm not using heroin anymore to cope with the problems and the trauma that I experienced as a little kid. When I was here in Teen Challenge, the Lord radically saved me and, and healed me and strengthened me. And then guess what? The Lord says, now you have no more excuses. So anytime you expose that and the Lord hears, heals that, there's no more excuses. But as I grew up, I loved to have excuses. Well, it's like, you don't know what, what's happened to me. You don't know where I'm from. And the Holy Ghost is like, yeah, I do. I was there. And I took that pain and punishment on myself on the tree so that you could be free. So instead of a little Superman cape, I had a little cloak of shame at five years old. Five years later, my family was destroyed by an adulterous affair and my father was gone. So now I had a cloak of being tough. See, sometimes when people go into Teen Challenge, they look at it with a prison mentality or a jail mentality. It's like, maybe I'm going to get half time for good behavior. <laughs> Hello. Right? Maybe I'm on 80% for good behavior. 
So they actually never get real. You have to look at this place like a hospital. Like the ER. Like, bro, my leg's blown off. I can't even walk. I need to learn how to walk again. But we strut around because we have this little cloak. For men, it's like, I had to be tough. I had to be tough when I was 10 years old because my dad was gone. And I didn't want to get my hopes up anymore, so now I had a cloak of being apathetic. So I completely shut down being a human being. I didn't want to get my hopes dashed again, so I, didn't, I stopped dreaming when I was 10 years old. I didn't want to get my hopes, hopes up and let it fall away. So this is how Satan tries to snuff you out, even as a little kid. And if you can't identify those things and bring those before the Lord, it's easy to talk about other people's stuff. It's easy to preach that God's here, He's available to you to, to help you. But when you begin to open up and say, man, I've had this tough guy image this whole time, but that's just me having an excuse of not really getting real and getting free. Five years later, when I was 15 years old, my brother died in a drug-related car accident. And he was really the only one that I opened up to. He was the only one that really knew who I really was. So now I had a cloak of isolation and loneliness. So I was full of shame, guilt, fear, and confusion. So now I, I turned to drugs. So I had a cloak of self-medicating. But guess what? First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? It sounded good when I was in church, but it didn't quite sink in until I just laid it all out on the line. And I think there's so many that are so have these little cloaks of shame and isolation and being tough. It's, I don't want to say this in like a condemning way or convicting way or whatever, but it's kind of like the Lord just gave me a picture of like a, a cowering animal in a cage. A cowering prisoner. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get free, so I'm just going to kind of give up ever wanting to be free. But the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11, Those who the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. The cowering prisoners will, be set, will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread. The Lord Almighty is his name, and you are my people. So the Lord still is calling your name. <clears throat> he's calling your name just out of the grave, just like he called Lazarus. And he said, come out of the place of death. Come out of the mindset of fear and shame and timidity. Of caring what people thinks about you. Of, of you walking around with your wooby or your, your grave clothes. Amen? You may be thinking, I don't know how much Jesus, I don't know much about Jesus. But just look around you at all these people that are walking around completely free and in their right mind. 
the same God that set them free is the same God that's going to be able to set you free. Amen? I want to talk to you a minute about this guy named Bartimaeus. If you could turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 49. Now this guy needed a physical manifestation and a miracle. Blindness is kind of like one of those illnesses that you don't take ibuprofen for. Amen? So there's some serious stuff inside of us that we know for a fact that pills and powders and drinks can't heal. Amen? But blindness is also one of those things that really defines a person because it's, it kind of seems like a lifelong sentence. It seems like an incurable disease. When my wife was pregnant, we were always praying that our babies would be able to see and hear and they'd have all their fingers. We didn't, we kind of assumed that they'd be born sinners. We weren't necessarily praying, hey, we're just praying that we're going to have a perfect child. But I think there's a, a vacuum of faith in some, in some ways when we don't pray that way. Because Satan from birth is trying to blind the minds of unbelievers. So we can't be ignorant to his schemes. He's been trying to snuff out your faith and blind you from seeing Jesus and knowing Jesus your entire life. I do want to share just something that really helped me as I was learning how to walk without shame. The Bible says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. So holding on to the past, to the familiar, to the comfortable, to the convenient, and those false senses of security, it really stopped me from being able to move forward. But the Bible also says, but he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will find it. And it wasn't until I began to lose myself in him and to surrender to the process and to just begin to trust him and say, hey, Lord, take me wherever you want to take me. I'm all yours. That's when I began to find out who I really was. That's when he began to restore all the dreams and the innocence and the hopes and the purpose that I had that I had bartered away as a, as a child. Look at me. Look with me at Mark chapter 10. It's uh, verse 46. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting on the road. I think there's an alarm going off back here if you want to... Someone's alarm's going off. When, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet, but he was crying out all the more, Have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, Have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Then Jesus answered him and said, What do you want me to do for you? Rabboni, the blind man said to him, I want to see. 
Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has saved go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and began to follow Jesus on the road. I just want to point out a few things about Bartimaeus in this passage. His name actually means son of Timaeus or son of honor. But he was living far below his own name, far below his own inheritance. His name and his identity was wrapped up in his disability. When you meet a blind man, that's all you really know about that person, isn't it? Oh, they're in a very, very special category of people because they're blind and they're always going to be blind. So his, his name and his identity was not wrapped up in Bartimaeus, child of honor, but it was wrapped up in his disability. He was blind. His identity was wrapped up in his poverty because he was poor. His identity was wrapped up in his vocation because he was unemployed. Even in this condition, he had to stop worrying about what anybody else thought about him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In his condition, he couldn't see Jesus, but he believed Jesus could make all things new in his life. And that's our theme this year. Everybody else was following Jesus. Everybody else could physically see Jesus. But only this man could recognize Jesus as the Savior and Lord and healer that he was. He recognized Jesus as the one that could save him and not just save other people. The other thing to notice about Bartimaeus, he was desperate. How many of you guys remember that desperate feeling when you came in for your interview? He got Jesus' attention because he was desperate. He recognized that this was his moment. And he began to think to himself, I can't live like this even for one more day. I don't want to be on disability for the rest of my life. <clears throat> he dealt with this shame for far too long. He was neglected. He was scorned. He was ignored. He was cast aside. He was despised. And it says that many, in verse 48, says many warned him to keep quiet. Many people were embarrassed that he was calling on Jesus. These were people that were following Jesus. These people were dignified, civilized followers of Jesus who were shushing him. But he was truly showing himself to be a son of honor. So who is really blind? He recognized that Jesus was the son of David. He recognized while he was blind that Jesus was a king, that Jesus had power, that Jesus had authority, because what a king says goes. He recognized that Jesus was there to save, to restore, and heal. He recognized that Jesus was the Lord and Savior and teacher, and he calls him Rabboni. The only thing is, when he's asking for healing, he, rec he quickly recognizes that he can't have both says that he had to leave his old identity. <clears throat> and it says, So they called the blind man and said to him, Have courage, get up, he's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Yes. When you're blind, you don't walk away from your stuff. 
Unless you don't want to ever have it again. Right? This beggar's coat is what brought him, brought in the money. His brokenness could have kept him from calling out even louder to Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He was unashamed. I'm the missions coordinator for TCMI in Southern California, so we're, we're ready and willing to receive you to go be unashamed of the gospel. But in order to do that, you have to have the testimony of Jesus Christ that's transformed your life. So how are we going to be unashamed with other people if we're still ashamed in these areas of brokenness in our own lives? So when religious people and civilized people and distinguished people try to shush you, just get even closer to the altar. Walk away from those, from those cloaks of shame. So Jesus replied to him, and this is just a key point. You can put this in the bank. When you call Jesus, he calls you back. He said, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. So he threw his cloak aside, jumped to his feet, and came to Jesus. See, Jesus is very personal, and he's very practical. He already knows where you need help and need healing. But he's going to ask you to identify that yourself. And that's probably one of the hardest things for us to do. Because what does that do? It holds up a mirror to us of really where we're at. And God doesn't do that to condemn us. Or to judge us. He asked the man, what do you want me to do for you? How many times have you come up to one of these altar calls and come up halfway? Half-stepping. We come up for prayer not expecting a full miracle. How can I pray for you? And you show them this much. Jesus himself is here under this tent. What do you want me to do for you? He's asking you. Are you expecting a total miracle? This was a totally manifested, documented, radical transformation that Bartimaeus experienced. And that's the first time when people began to recognize him for his new name, Bartimaeus. This is truly a child of honor. So don't come with your halfway requests. Leave your cloaks of shame and false sense of security behind you. Leave your plan B's behind. Before he got healed, he had to walk all the way away from his cloak. His sense of security, that little whoopee. So many of us want to hold on to a tangible safety net. Because what if we don't get healed? I always had that question in my mind, and so I always had one foot out the door when I was in Teen Challenge. If this doesn't work out, at least I know I know how to build houses. If this doesn't work out, I know I have chronic back pain. I'm set for life.
if this doesn't work out, I know I have a place to live. Because I got clean. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm jacked up. I'm still holding on to my whoopee. I'm 34 years old. I'm holding on to this baby stuff, this, this child's play. But I'm acting tough. I'm acting like I got it all together. But I'm not experiencing my healing. I'm only walking like one foot away from it. Just in case this doesn't work out, I, I know where it is. I know where to go to get mine. I had to come to a place of complete and total surrender. Where there was no plan B. There was no back door. In fact, when I got born again, the Holy Spirit came upon me so bad that He says, I'm going to close doors that you won't even close for yourself. You ever seen that movie, Liar, Liar? I couldn't tell a lie anymore. I had to tell on myself. I had to go to my doctor, the pain management doctor. And I had to tell him straight to his face. I said, you know all these pills you've been giving me? I'm selling them on the street for heroin. All the little nurses and everybody are like, you're blacklisted for life. You're never going to get nothing. They were shocked. They just didn't even know how to handle that much truth. They're like, this boy is like hanging himself here. I don't know whether to call the cops or call the detox. I don't know. I was like, call the detox, please, because you guys aren't helping me. You've got to come to a place where you know that you know that you know that there's no plan B. Because after I got out of detox, I had a big old pill of morphine in my basement. That was after I had the appointment to come into San Diego Teen Challenge. And my dad's like, you ready? I said, yeah, I'm ready. But the Holy Ghost was like, you ain't ready, son. You got a bottle of pills. The Holy Ghost just is real gentle. But he's not playing. He's like, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? I'm like, fine, I'll go get those pills. So I got a handful of them, and I brought them to my dad. And the Lord's like, quit playing. <laughs> that ain't all of them. I was like, all right. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to get fully healed, fully restored. No plan B. I ain't going back. He took me back to when I was five years old. And I just said, I want to see your face again. I want to hear your voice again. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. So he looked down and he said, go, son, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along on the road. Immediately I was delivered from a heroin addiction. Immediately I was delivered from a porn addiction. Immediately I was delivered from cigarettes. Like immediately. <laughs> and I began to follow Jesus on the road.
So don't let your old identity stop you from crying out to Jesus. This guy was poor. He was physically disabled. And he was able to survive as a hustler. Come on now. Satan's going to use people who are well-meaning, even your neighbor, to stop you from receiving your birthrights as sons and daughters of the king. So what do you got to do? You just got to call on Jesus a little bit louder. Because the haters going to hate. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm not going to be despised anymore. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. When I'm struggling, I'm going to confess. Because I can't live one more day like this. But you got to be specific. You got to own your identity. Bartimaeus, child of honor. What do you want Jesus to do for you? What is holding you back? What is crippling you? What is blinding you from seeing Jesus? Just as Jesus heard his voice, he heard something else. He heard faith in his voice. And I think that's what stops many of us from really being healed. Do you believe that he can really help you? All you got to do is ask him. Those same people who were silently and rebuking Bartimaeus began to praise God in a whole new way. So you want to learn how to transform lives? All you got to do is call on Jesus. Because you're going to be a trophy of his grace. And you just can't help yourself. People are going to be praising God in the very next minute when you get yours. They're despising you and they're just playing happy, clappy Christian with you. Judging you. And you care about what they think, so you stay in your chair. But when you cry out from the depths of your soul with faith, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is your new identity. Children of honor. Children of freedom. Children of boldness. Children of high esteem. Children of the Most High. Stand to your feet. Throw down the cloaks of shame. Regret pain and labels and come and tell Jesus what you need.